Hey everyone, this is Sam, better known as That Girl with the Curls, and I'm recording this just to kind of give you a heads up that the first 14 episodes are essentially, they were previously recorded for the website Word of the Nerd that I used to write for. And as I am no longer a writer for that website, I decided to take my podcast with me uh, to my own website, The Maniacal Geek, and uh, use this as my forum for interviewing people and whatnot and saying things that I want to say, which, you know, hopefully this introduction is getting that across. If not, I apologize. So uh, you will hear this on every recording for the first 14. After that, there will be different recordings, uh, just kind of, you know, intros, basically, to whomever's on the podcast. So if you're hearing this for the umpteenth time, please skip ahead. Uh, if not, uh, just enjoy the rest of the show, and I hope you keep listening and come back for more. All right, thank you so much, and uh, have fun with this episode. I will refrain from the Dr. Seuss reference because you're already making it yourself. And uh, joining me today is Bex Rebecca. Bex, say hi. Hi. Hey, how are you doing? I'm so happy. I'm so happy. The reason why Bex is so happy is because we have a wonderful guest on the podcast who I basically assaulted at Emerald City Comic Con to come on to the podcast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you will know him from the Thrilling Adventure Hour and Supernatural Suspense podcast, which it's no longer called that, but I will. Um, voice of many characters, including Philip Fathom and uh, William, one of the Adventure Coutures, as well as Gummy. Uh, please say hello to Hal Lublin. Hal, say hi to everyone. Hi, everybody. It's me, Hal Lublin, from all those things you just heard about. <laughs> and many more. And so much more. My God. Uh, Hal, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. How are you? How are both of you? You're in different parts of the country. Do people yeah. know that? Is that is that canon for this podcast? <laughs> oh, we need to do a wiki now for uh, <laughs> for word. Is it in the wiki that you're in different parts of the? You're you are in Seattle, and Bex, you are in Cleveland. I am. Yes. Biographical Great. information that we now have told people. <laughs> yeah. And your home addresses are. Well. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I should not be Social saying that. Social security number is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's all just go around and just each say our pin. Okay. You guys first. <laughs> Let me get a pen and paper. I want everyone to know what bank I go to, um, which oddly enough actually did just get over credit card fraud. So. <laughs> oh. Oh yeah, it was. It was like one of those things where I went to go and get gas, and suddenly like you can't get gas. Like, no, I need to drive a car to get places. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I just finally got a new card. Awesome stuff. Good podcast. Congratulations. Thank you. Great story. It's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, Hal, so everyone should hopefully know you from Thrilling Adventure because it is an amazing podcast, and uh, Bex and I are, are big fans of it, huge fans. Um, the minute I announced you were going to come on, she was like, I want in, I want in. <laughs> I'm a bit of a new fan. I just, I just started listening because I'm a huge fan of old radio shows. I subscribe to a bunch of podcasts that rebroadcast, you know, uh, Boston Blackie and mm -hmm. all, all the classics. And I, I've heard about uh, Thrilling Adventure before and I, I just recently started listening and I'm, I'm up to like episode 100. 
So I'm wow. still catching up. You're you're moving at a at a venerable clip. I am. If you've made it to 100, how did you? What made you decide to get started? Um, I think I think I just so many friends recommending it to me, and Welcome to Night Vale does not come out fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> so I need something to listen to in the meantime. And you you are the voice of Thrilling Adventure Hour. You play pretty much every single narrator. Yeah. I do. I do. I play all the narrators. Um, every once in a while, if I'm in a segment, somebody else will will back me up. Or if I'm not there for a show, if I can't make it, um, there's sort of like a an or it's almost like a phone tree. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if Hal can't do it, Craig is usually there, and then uh, Mark Annie's filled in. Mark McConville is one of our incredible guests. Matt Gorley, uh, okay, both of whom are from Super Ego, they've both filled in. Um, one time I forgot to go on stage in Brooklyn and Paget did a line for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard the, I, I think the latest of Beyond Belief, because I'm, I'm all caught up, so I know everything. <laughs> no spoilers. Okay, let's, yeah, let's just do an hour of spoilers. <laughs> okay. So what happened on Sparks, Nevada was, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, because I think the most recent Beyond Belief, it was, it was Matt Gorley doing it. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, because uh, I, I listened to um, Super Ego as well because of Paula Tompkins, and it's like you guys just all branch out, and then you're like, well, I'm going to listen to that because they're on that one now, and then right. I get into a new podcast because of you people. Like, and those guys Paula Tompkins are... has a really good podcast too. He does, mm-hmm. he does, and he's been on. I, I feel like every time I do a new podcast, I'm trying to get closer to being like Paul, who's been on 90,000 podcasts, I think. I think so, yeah. But Super Ego is, uh, those guys are brilliant, and it's so cool. You know, they get to come in L.A., they get to play with us a lot, which is really great, and I've done their live show, which was also incredible. Um, Right after recording an episode of uh, the Dead Authors podcast, which is another one of Paul's podcasts. I love the Dead Authors podcast. So good. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Did uh, were you part of the because um, you you and uh, Super Ego did a crossover uh, where it was like part part of the worlds yeah yes I was not there for those I was yeah. not, I was not a part of it but uh, I fully supported it from afar <laughs> did you listen to it did you like it I I uh, I loved it because how could you not love all those people together I know. <laughs> exactly like the minute there. I, I especially love it when there's the the improvised stuff too because you can hear people cracking up like towards the tail end. <laughs> yeah, it's just a bunch of people having too much fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's one of the things about even thrilling adventure is that if so, you guys normally do this at uh, the at Largo in in LA, right? Correct. So, so most people don't really get to see the live show, um, except now that you guys are doing more tours, and. What's always fun for me sometimes is when I listen to it and you can hear when something's happened on stage, (laughs) you know, it's just that there's like these pauses and the audience starts laughing, but you, but nothing, you can't hear anything yet. Right. And those are those moments where I'm like, oh, if only I were there, (laughs) they're probably exchanging glances in a meaningful way. See, I think we're all grateful that that is the reaction because... It could also be extremely frustrating, and that's something whenever, you know, we've done a couple panels now as we've sort of traveled to different cons and stuff like that, and and a question that we get a lot is, what's going on when there's laughter but there's no dialogue? Right. Has somebody made a mistake? Is somebody giving a look? Um, 
and that happens all the time. I mean, you know, it's a, it, it's always been a stage show first, even though it's it's written now. I, I think they write a little bit more with a podcast audience in mind, mm-hmm. but we're still out there performing it, and it's got to be visually interesting. So we're always thinking of bits that we can do to to sort of add to the stage picture when we're doing it live. And I'm glad that that makes people want to see it rather than going, oh, man, yeah. <laughs> they're putting me on the outside of the bubble. I can't believe those bastards. <laughs> yeah, what a they bunch of jerks. Why won't they let me into their world? <laughs> do, you have, do you have a favorite moment that the, the listeners are completely lost on that could uh, only be seen? Um, for For me personally, it would be, I think it was, the Halloween Beyond Belief, maybe? No. Maybe the first Valentine's Day. I think it was that one. Okay. Where it was the, the episode where, where they reveal that the narrator is a, is, uh, is a Will of the Wisp. Sorry if I spoiled that for you, Beth. But <laughs> That's okay. It's on the wiki. I have a few different entrances and exits in that. And that one in particular, Paul and Paget had their backs to the audience. And I, I came out to their mic, did my line, and then sort of backed away and exited on the band side, which is not normally where one exits. And I heard both of them. I heard Padgett go. <laughs> um, so anytime I can get the two of them to laugh is that that's, that's pretty incredible. It's very rare. Are they they're uh, really spot on with the, uh, yeah. yeah, Paul and Paul and Padgett seem like the consummate professionals. After that. I, I don't know if she's laughing or if it's her character laughing half the time. I, that's that's the brilliance of pageant. There you go. I, I, yeah, because the first episode that I ever listened to, Thrilling Adventure, because it was when they got you guys got acquired by Nerdist, basically. Yeah. The hostile takeover. Um, <laughs> Every day we pay the price for uh, that. Every Hardwick day. is on there all the time, being like, "Do more stuff." Uh huh. He's branded all of us. <laughs> Our flanks. You've got that triangle with the star. Yep. Somewhere. It's different on everybody, you have to guess. It is. They let you choose, which is really nice of them, I think. Oh, that's so sweet. I hear he's a really nice guy, that Chris Hardwick. He is. He's a sweetheart. <laughs> um, but the first episode I listened to was the, um, it was a Beyond the beyond Belief, and it was the, they were in Africa. Uh-huh. And it was where Paget is doing the list of animals she wants to kill. Yeah. And since then, it's like, I think since then, they've done everything in their power. Uh, ben Acker and Ben Blacker, who we should tell people, write the thrilling adventure hour. Yes. Um, write it brilliantly, by the way. They do. Um, that uh, I think from there on, Acker and Blacker were basically trying to come up with lists of things for her to say because they liked how she said things. You're not incorrect at all, even a little bit. Awesome. That's, that's I mean, we all love it. It's that voice is so incredible and really like if it, it's very natural to her, I guess, to, to I don't know if she developed it at some point, but it's very like nobody else could play that role. And th- those lists like it, you just you just sort of fall in love with that voice and the way she says different words. And the the list of animals is classic and, and it's led to. I mean, audiences get excited when she says more than two things in a list because they're like, oh, what else are they going to throw out there? She's got that old-timey radio voice perfectly. I think of anybody in the cast, she really captures the era of of the old-timey radio 
voice. She's got the continental accent going there. It's just brilliant. Yeah, she really does. See, Paul always reminds me of, um, I always I always wanted it to be that his father is actually Don Adams. You know, <laughs> there's just a way he speaks that reminds me of Maxwell Smart. He's almost <laughs> on the cusp of it, isn't he? Like, he you really could do that voice really well if you wanted to. Like, if they ever, if, if Acker and Black ever did, like, a, a Get Smart parody, it would just, it would have to be Paul <laughs> playing Don, the, playing Maxwell Smart. I mean, it yeah. just, it fits so well. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, okay, do you have, um, I hear that everybody has a, a Mark Evan Jackson impersonation. Do you have one? Uh, well, you know, um, <laughs> Mark Evan Jackson. <laughs> everybody, everybody's impression is the Sparks impression, cause, which is, I mean, a part of his voice. Yeah. But it's not like, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's slightly lighter voice than that. It's not like he walks around going, I'm from Earth. <laughs> But there's a great episode, which I think has been podcast. The one with the Sparks clones. Has that been? I think. Podcast? No. There, I, don't, there, I don't remember. I remember when um, uh, Croach and. Oh, the body Sparks switch. Yeah. Bodies. And then he was doing the, the Mark Evan Jackson impression. Which Mark Gagliardi. Mark Gagliardi. Gagliardi. Thank you. It's his fault for having that name. Um, it is. Oh, when they first heard your name announced the podcast, I thought they said, "How lovely!" I'm like, Aww. "He is." In a he way, in a way, they do, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> he is so lovely. Um, he Mark does a great impression of Jackson. I think Craig's. From if if I were putting uh, money on who the best one is, it would be Craig for me. Right. I think Craig's is is pretty incredible. Well, we're gonna have to get him on here so he can prove that, and then yeah. <laughs> A Jackson off. Yes. Oh my God. I, That's perfect. Just everyone should be doing that. Like everyone, figure out a way to do Mark Evan Jackson. Everybody, do the Jackson. It'll come with like a uh, a little record, a little instructional record, like a twelve inch that you just just sound like you don't care about things and uh, <laughs> just go. I'm from Earth. Yeah. <laughs> like, a lot of bravado. Yeah. Exactly. Overconfidence, and then you go. Yeah. Uh, it's the same kind of with, like, Paget. Like, um, what led into that is that, you know, her voice is something that, like, because I always try to, I, I, I'm, I'm a mimic at times. Like, I try to do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So Paget's voice is so particular that it's like I can't get it. Like, I can't do any justice to it, and I don't even attempt to try anymore. You know, she's one of those people, she's, she's a really talented singer, Mm-hmm. And I think that helps her, you know, there's a musicality to, to all of her performances, especially Sadie. She's got a, like a very particular rhythm um, and a, there's a melody to her voice. So I think that might have something to, to do with it. Yeah, it's, it's just very much something that's hers that um, it's just everyone else can envy. And she's just like, no, no, I have it. It's mine. <laughs> mine. <laughs> I couldn't even I couldn't couldn't even imagine if she was like that about it. <laughs> She's like, no, everyone can have it. It's for everyone. Please. She gets off stage and goes, fuck all of you. <laughs> Follow that. I would love it if Paget just swore like a horse all the time. Oh, my gosh. She's, she is a proper lady. How could you? I don't know. I'm watching currently right now on my television, Criminal Minds is playing. So I'm watching her as I'm talking to you. So. Oh, well, there you go. She's been on that show a lot. Huh? 
She doesn't curse on that show much. That's network television. She doesn't. No, I'm just saying I'm I'm watching her. I, I'm I'm fully aware that you're here, Hal. I'm I'm with you, but I'm just saying in the background I I see Paget's you yeah. know, face. <laughs> no, I appreciate. it. I'm going to turn the television on as well. I'm going to watch some. Uh, <laughs> Oh, so there's some playoff basketball on. I'll check in with that. There we go. Yeah. Like, just randomly hear the scores. You're like, yes! I'm sorry. What was that? I... <laughs> it was a like, slam dunk. How did you get your start in this theater? Like, well, like, oh, my God, are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. Oh, that's not a foul. Like, oh, I see. In the theater, the fouls were. <laughs> <laughs> we could touch real quick on how you got started with doing Adventure Hour, because I know uh, Akron Blacker have been doing it since, like, 2005, long before they were ever at the, the Largo. Yes. Um, the show for the first four years, just about a little a little short of four years, was at a little supper club um, at Fountain and Vine, for those of you who know your way around Los Angeles, mm-hmm. called the M-Bar. And I, I met Acker maybe February or um, somewhere around there, like February, January, February of 2005. And we were both in a sketch group at Second City which also had Mark Gagliardi and Annie Savage. We were all in that together. Um, and at the, the same time, Acker and I would actually, we would hang out a lot and we would write sketches together for the show. And through that, he said, I'm writing a four-person sketch show. Gagliardi was in it, but he had to drop out. Would you like to be in it in his place? I said, sure. And he had told me about Thrilling Adventure Hour. It was just starting around that time. So this was maybe March or April. And we did the show, and, and uh, Ben Blacker came to see it along with Dave Gruber-Allen, another founding Work Juice player. Mm-hmm. And a month or two later, they asked me to, to, to join. So my first show was, I want to say it was July of, of 2005. It was either June or July. So I started within the first five shows. Nice. And, and were you always kind of like the – did you just kind of like – stumble upon the narrator role to a certain extent or was it just kind of like, okay, how we'll do this or did you guys like um, toss it up a bit? Um, well, I was, I was the new kid on the block when I joined. I, I mean, of course it wasn't, um, you know, there weren't a ton of shows, so there wasn't a lot of precedent set, but mm-hmm. the, the initial framing for the show was a comedy duo called Acker and Blacker <laughs> who would set up the, the conceit of the show. Say, this is a radio show. Radio is better than all the other media. We're going to tell you why. We're going to introduce each of the segments. Um, and then a narrator would come in. So, so my first show, I played Acker, and then I, I was given all the narration. That was sort of my job to come in and do that because that was what they had. A lot of the other stuff was already cast. So I, the, the character choices I kind of thought about in the car on the way over and then talked to Blacker. <laughs> I went up to him and I was like, hey, do you and, – and I didn't know him that well. I met him one other time or two other times. I said, is it okay with you if I do voices for this? I was thinking I might make them characters. And he said, yeah, it's fine. Whatever you want to do. I don't care. <laughs> 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 so so that, was, that was sort of where, uh, where all that was born. The spooky narrator has always been the same. The folksy narrator, which is the Sparks Nirvana narrator, has changed a lot. And then as other segments were added – I just narrated all of them. So just that was an opportunity to come up with a new voice. Like, They're all really completely different. Mm-hmm. Oh, if thank I hadn't, you. Yeah, if I hadn't known they were the same actor, I would have never guessed. Fantastic. Then I'm doing my <laughs> job well. 
you are. It always does a really good job of setting up the the type of uh, of program we're into. I mean, it's like right. sports in Nevada. It's just like you know, just the minute you start doing like you know, don your you know, robot fists and everything, and uh, the spooky narrator is a, is is a particular favorite of mine as well. Yeah, I like the spooky one too. <laughs> oh well, I I appreciate that. That was kind of the that was the thought I had in doing characters. I was like, oh, this is a chance to give people context. Mm-hmm. Um, and the folksy narrator, the current version is, is based off of Sam Elliott. <laughs> it started uh, nice. like a little bit more like, uh, like, uh, Sean Resto Spurs and Don Your Robot Fists. <laughs> and then it became like needed to be higher energy. So it was Sparks Nevada. <laughs> um, and then the Beyond Belief is, is just me ripping off the Haunted Mansion. Oh, nice. It's me doing like Beyond Belief, which is, uh, which is based off of, uh, Paul Freeze. Oh, voice yeah. mansion. Yep. It must be such a thrill to be the announcer to always get the big cheer too. As soon as you say that first opening line, the audience goes crazy for you. It's it's exciting. Um, I I know that they appreciate what I do, but I also feel like they're cheering for Beyond Belief. Also, like it's not like I would say my lines and then leave the stage and then go, we are very satisfied with that transaction. <laughs> that was good for us. That segue uh, was very well informed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was really good. I I was expecting to see something, but I guess the show's over. <laughs> Um, but there, there was a time, it's happened a couple times because it's always, Beyond Belief always starts with, and now I go, and now, and th- that is somewhat close to sort of the regular announcer voice. Mm. And sometimes it'll be like, and now a word from Patriot brand cigarettes. <laughs> and so there was a time where I went, and now, and the audience lost their mind. And then I went, a word from Patriot brand cigarettes. <laughs> I felt kind of bad. I was like, oh no, hold on. There's there's more show before this. There's other things. Sorry. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, how long does a so when you're you're typically doing the show? How long is a is a night for you guys? We get there between six and six thirty traditionally. Mm-hmm. Then an eight o'clock show, um, which starts. It, it, go to any theater show and tell me that it starts on time. But we always start <laughs> a little bit late. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're probably done around 9.30, I want to say. Okay. 9.30, 9.45, and then we hang out in the courtyard generally for another hour. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a pretty long night. It's about four hours, but considering the fact that we don't really get a chance to rehearse yeah, uh, during the week, we sort of get the script, we show up that night, we run everything, and then go right into it. And it's always, a, I mean, it's a fast, it's a fast evening. We all get to see one another, and we... we one of the things that keeps the show going after nine years is it's a group of people who genuinely have affection for one another. Mm-hmm. So we enjoy spending that time. I look forward to seeing, you know, seeing the people on the show who I don't normally get to see outside of it. Yeah. And is it, it is it always, cause I know it's always like sparks and, and beyond belief are the, the two that frame kind of the night, but is it, is there a set like, how how it goes like do Acker and Blacker just kind of switch up like that middle show or you know how does that do you know how that works yeah I mean it's I don't know what what their selection process is but they do those, those pieces are rotated in and out and I assume it's partially based on who they have for the show mm-hmm. um, who needs to be served in the show uh, what guests we have that kind of helps dictate uh, to a certain extent what that middle segment might be and then you know, generally the times we do Moonshine Holler tend to be when we don't have Paul and Paget, mm-hmm. and that's and that sort of fills in as a third segment. 
we yeah we uh Bex and I before uh the show started we were talking about Moonshine Holler because uh, Gummy is is your voice. Uh, that is me. <laughs> apple pie. Apple pie. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, I so this is I keep hearing and I, I I feel like there's some truth to this that um Jack Benny and Rochester. Rochester, absolutely. Yeah, like that's the voice I hear because it just reminds me of that um, Looney Tunes segment <laughs> where yeah. they were mice. <laughs> Absolutely. That that's actually where the voice is uh based off. It's based off of that actor whose name is now escaping me. Um, who played Rochester, his uh his friend and uh and assistant sort of ballet. Um I, I it was a thing that came out of rehearsal. I Dave Gruber, Allen and I used to mess around a lot in rehearsals and stuff came out of that, uh some of which was used in the show and that and that was me like like going, that was such an odd. There was such an odd and really specific voice. Mm-hmm. Um, that that voice is a little bit more like I'll tell you right now, Mister Betty. Like it's got a little <laughs> bit more on the bottom. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, the idea of that voice and bringing it up here makes gummy, which is different. Um, but there was a concern, at least on my part, early on, that people would think it was racist, which it's not at all. Mm-hmm. Like it's in my mind. He was never, uh, he was never African American or anything other than like an old white dude with a weird voice. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, that's not how it was taken. <laughs> he just knew the hobo way. He knew the hobo. It's the hobo way. <laughs> well, listening to how you and and Craig uh, play off of each other is also really fun too, because I mean, there's such a what I do appreciate about Akron Blacker is that each segment has its own voice. Um, right. and, and especially with Moonshine Holler, the hobo way of talking <laughs> is a particular type of language. Yeah, they, they write I, those pieces in particular. The, it's, it's a real um, – it's very acrobatic. Mm-hmm. And Craig describes it really well as sort of being like a video game where you have to, like, punch every box and collect every coin <laughs> – and it's really difficult. The cave gets more difficult the further along you go. But if you don't, if you don't sort of hit all of those little moments, then it doesn't feel satisfying. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really fun challenge. And Craig is so amazingly talented. And I'm fortunate to be paired up with him in a lot of stuff. Um, and and that's just like we just have fun sort of playing that together. And it seems like like Moonshine Holler's most poetic. I think of all the all the shows, you have a lot of really you know difficult phrases to get out really quickly. I mean, even just the name Banjo and Bindle stuff is so yeah. easy to trip over. And all of his soliloquies and search for his hobo princess, they throw out a lot of really tricky dialogue for you to, to navigate in there as well. Yeah, they they really do. It's very, um, very David Milchie. If you've ever seen uh, Deadwood mm-hmm. in particular, it's sort of like dead. If Deadwood and Shakespeare had a baby, um, <laughs> which I think was partially their, the sort of the impetus behind uh, behind that that sort of language choice but it's it's definitely like you have to really pay attention to it there are other other pieces where i mean you always want to give the script a look but you can be a little bit looser with it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. these it's like you like you really want to make sure that you're hitting everything because if you if you don't some some major 
plot point will be missed because you said the wrong word or didn't know how to pronounce something. Yeah. So. And it's, uh, it's, it's one of the, the more serialized ones as well. I mean, to an extent, I mean, like Sparks is, Sparks is the most, is the, the traditionally most serialized of the entire show. Yeah. Uh, Beyond Belief is very standalone. And then, the Captain Laser Beams and the Moonshine Hollers are a little bit like, well, stuff is happening. <laughs> yeah, those those have evolved, and and even Colonel TikTok has a little bit more of a of an ongoing narrative and returning mm-hmm. characters. The original joke of it was always it used they used to be really really short. the The theme song was really really long. Yeah, so it was a really long theme song, and then it was like uh, Thomas Jefferson as a dinosaur. And then he fixes it with a trick clock and then it's, and then it's over. (laughs) Like they were almost like they just could have switched different pieces out. And then we would do the longest version of the theme song to end it where there were like three or four false endings where we would walk (laughs) off the stage and then come back on. But eventually they settled into sort of the, like creating this entire world around the character, which is really, really fun. Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing. Like as the as the show has kept going, things have started to really evolve. Like like you just mentioned with Colonel TikTok. I mean, I can remember like those back episodes where you're just like, this song is going on for a lot longer than I expected. <laughs> um, and then yeah, very little happens in the meat of the story, and then it's just more song. You're like, okay. <laughs> it, it almost seemed like at the beginning an excuse to do impressions. Mm-hmm. Because you definitely got James Urbaniak doing his Bowie in there. Yes. Which was fantastic. Oh, yes. Tesla? Yes, it's Tesla. It's Tesla, yeah. <laughs> there was one where it was, um, I think it was Urbaniak and, and John DiMaggio. They were doing, like, The Odd Couple. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was, the, yeah. the Italian um, anarchists. Yeah. It's okay. Just, Oh, it was so it was it was just one of those really unexpected moments where you're just like, oh my God, Felix and <laughs> like yeah. they're here and they're talking about anarchy and okay. And I like Paul F. Tompkins as uh, as Chico Marx. Oh my God. Um, doing <laughs> when he plays um, Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it's just an excuse. Is it, is it really just Acker and Blacker just going like, well, you can do this voice, right? So just do that, or is it a discovery process with some characters for you guys? I, I think it's a mix. I mean, they know who they have, and and they know what would be fun. But a, a lot of it, I think, comes from them. Like this idea of, hey, um, what if Oscar Wilde was Charles Nelson Riley or Paul Lind? Paul Lind. What if Paul, Paul Lind? Yeah. Everybody, Lind everybody just did a Paul Lind impression. You even had some of guys from Mystery Science Theater in that episode, didn't you? I think they were in that episode. Uh, Bill and Kevin, right? They were in that Yeah, episode. Bill and Kevin were in that episode. Yes. Yes, they were. I think they were in the recorded version of that episode. <laughs> so, I mean, given that in mind, so you guys have had a lot of guest stars, obviously, aside from the, the normal uh, retinue of, of work juice players. Um, so who has... I mean, I, I don't want you to play favorites or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, okay. It's like your children. Nathan Fillion's the best. Let's, let's, let's all agree. Nathan <laughs> Fillion wins. Nathan, Nathan Fillion is a, is a very handsome, very talented, and very kind man. <laughs> I can confirm all three of those things. He pay you to say that. He's standing here right now writing a check. <laughs> Refuses to appear on the podcast. I apologize. Damn you, Nathan, for not appearing on this podcast. <laughs> Just writing a check. Yes. Mal, come on. Yeah, right? Bring back Firefly. Uh, 
But um, did, did you have like any particular like like favorite guest stars or guest stars that when you heard that they were going to come on, you were like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Yeah, the two that made me say, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, were Weird Al Yankovic, mm-hmm. where almost the entire cast felt that way. Um, and then early in the show, before we started recording for podcasts, we uh, when John DiMaggio first joined the cast, maybe maybe within six months of him joining – he uh, he brought Billy West in. Oh my god! And I'm a huge like voiceover fan, and I've been a Billy West fan since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. So having him there, those are the two people I had the most difficulty speaking to. <laughs> he just could like... not. Uh, just I mean, it's Billy West mm-hmm. and it's Weird Al. Yeah. Two two guys who sort of helped create in some way the soundtrack of of my childhood and helped shape you know, uh, what I wanted to do and, and comedy and, and, and everything. So has there been a guest star that's surprised you uh, in terms of they did uh, the show or yeah, it was really cool. You know, we were just in New York and we had Dick Cavett. Oh, really? Which, which was uh, like crazy. <laughs> and he was, not only did he do a great job, could not have been a nicer guy. Wow. Uh, that's cool could not have been more willing to just sort of like have fun and joke around with everybody backstage. And then it's going around Tumblr right now, but he did the moonwalk when we brought him out for the curtain call. He came out and bowed. Then Hodgman pretended like he was going to throw him off the stage. And then he did the moonwalk and the crowd lost their minds. (laughs) Yet another reason why you need to see a thrilling adventure hour live. (laughs) Yeah. You never know when Dick Cavett's going to do the moonwalk. Never. Really don't. <laughs> so yeah, that's that that is definitely one of the one of those people. At this point, they've they've gotten so many incredible guest stars mm-hmm. that it's hard to be surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was amazed that Jakey Simmons could sing. I had no idea. He was a Broadway guy. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, if he was in the <laughs> revival of Guys and Dolls, I think in the nineties, and you wow. can find some footage on YouTube of them like recording the cast album. <laughs> And he's, I mean, he was another incredible guest star, so talented, and his singing was unreal. Yeah, that note that he holds during uh, the piano also talks, I think, or sings. The the piano's been thinking. Yeah, the piano's been thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, that, that note that he holds, you're just like, my God, man. <laughs> it's incredible. You're J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's exactly, yeah. And the with the yellow M and M, I think That's the highlight. I think, of course, the yellow M and M. I think it was on Oz or something like that too. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. I happen to know J.K. Simmons' entire uh, uh, filmography. You know what? Let's just go to his IMDb page and okay, read. Let's do it. We'll all give reviews <laughs> of his work. Well, I'll talk about movies that he's done and how much we really love him. And yeah, it's all going to be respectful. Oh, of course. He'll be thrilled. I'm sure. I saw you on so many Law and Order episodes. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I did. When I first got Netflix, all I was watching was Law and Order. I was like, hey, it's, oh, okay. <laughs> and that's what kept you going. Now you're 20 seasons in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've seen every incarnation. I'm pretty sure I could commit the perfect crime at this point. Uh, that's what those shows are for. The blueprint. Yeah, I've, I watch Criminal Minds, so I know the psychology. I watch Law and Order. I know the justice system. I watch CSI. I hide the evidence. There you go. <laughs> Fantastic. You're all set. I'm done. 
Uh, off to commit crimes, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to, to talk to you as well. You mentioned you were in um, New York. So you guys have been doing the touring now. Yes. And what has that been like for you guys to now be leaving, I guess, the comfort of L.A. and and going out into the world now? It's great. You know, podcasting allows us to to build fan bases in places other than Los Angeles. I mean, we love the LA fans. We love playing at Largo. That's our home for sure. But as we podcast and there's demand to see the show in different parts of the country, it's really cool to be able to, to visit and take it to them because they're people who have never seen it live. They've only really received it as it's been transmitted in these 25 to 30 minute chunks. Mm -hmm. So they get to see the ads and the intro and what the actual structure is like and and what it looks like when, when Frank and Slady clink their glasses. Um, and are there entrances and exits? And, and how many microphones are there? And do they really dress up? I mean, I hope they're not asking those questions. They seem kind of basic questions. But Does Hal wear a tie or a bow tie? Or yeah. What kind of ties? What, what is around the necks of these gentlemen doing this show? I don't know. I, I can only ponder in my mind's eye what they're wearing. Well, the internet is a buzz about it. That's true. Mm -hmm. Inquiring well, minds want to know how. Yeah. So <laughs> I think the first place, we traveled to San Francisco. We've been going there for three or four years now as a part of Sketchfest. Mm -hmm. And then, so New York was the first sort of big trip, which we did in the fall of 2012. And we went to the Bell House in Brooklyn and we did two shows. They were both full. The crowd was like, it was just an incredible crowd. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time we were really like, oh, we, this is, we were able to go across the country and put on a show twice in a night, sell it out, and have these incredible fans who had never seen the show before who were hungry for it. And so we've been back there. You know, the show on Saturday night was our fourth time performing there mm -hmm. in two years. And we, we just announced that we're doing another show at the Bell House on October 11th. Nice. So. Book your tickets now. Yes. Yes. Book your tickets now. And Seattle was great. I mean, that was different because we were doing the Welcome to Night Vale crossover. Yeah. Well, you are the voice of Steve Carlsberg now. I am. You know, I was listening to. <laughs> so the the episode that was just released, it was finally put out in podcast form. The, mm -hmm. the debate. Yes. Was the first it was the first time I'd ever done Steve Carlsberg. <laughs> and I didn't realize that I, I've done it a bunch of times live since then, mm -hmm. but I haven't done it again for a podcast. And I, and I didn't realize that the first time I did it back in October, that I did it with a Southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> I had no memory of that at all. All I remember was me going uh, like, hi, this is Steve Carlsberg. And then, but when I listened to it, it was like, hi, this is Steve Carlsberg. Mm. And so I, uh, you know, now I'm like, oh, well, if I do it again live, should I do the accent? Should I not do the accent? Do a different accent. Should I do a different accent every time? <laughs> Wouldn't it be just like that Steve Carlsberg to change his oh accent? Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's disguising his voice so that Cecil won't hang up on him. Yeah, what a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> I just I love it. I I love it when Cecil just gets like so pissed. It's just it's it's one of those great like I don't know if there was ever a reason why he hates Steve or if it's just 
because well, I think I think it was revealed that he is married to Cecil's sister. That's it. Yeah, there was an episode where he was trying to sell her um her, Girl Scout cookies. Yeah, Girl Scout cookies for his niece and Steve Carlsberg, her father. <laughs> couldn't be bothered. No, nope, couldn't do it. Way to go. <laughs> you have a different take on Steve since we only know him through Cecil, who hates him. You or know, do you also hate Steve Carlsberg? I love Steve Carlsberg. <laughs> kidding i the first time that i that i did it i didn't know who steve carlsberg was (laughs) it was it was october of of 2013 and and i had two bits in that show Mm -hmm. one was playing an angel one was playing Uh erica the angel which i did once and then and then annie did once erica with a k erica with a k (laughs) i think she said erica with a k or i no she did um and then, and then I have one, that one line as Steve Carlsberg. I had no idea. I wasn't prepared for the audience reaction. <laughs> and what they, was the audience reaction? The, the, we did two shows. The first show, they cheered like, like uh, when Tom Hanks walks out on Saturday Night Live to do a, a cameo. Mm. And the crowd just loses their minds. Not because... <laughs> It was me, but because, oh, my God, Steve Carlsberg is speaking. This is that character that, that we've heard about for a year. Um, we're finally getting to hear what he sounds like. He so in between. That what was that? And he sounds like that guy. He sounds like that guy. So <laughs> then between the shows, I was talking to Joseph Fink, who's one of the writers, and he said, I'm really surprised they cheered for you because they hate Steve Carlsberg. I thought you'd be booed. <laughs> And I said, I, it doesn't matter to me, whatever whatever they do, as long as they have a reaction. So the second show, I, I come out, I do the, the line the exact same way, and get the same reaction, and then that's followed by a wash of booze, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> so, uh, you know, th- going on the road with them, doing the librarian stuff, that was like the first time I really got scenes with, with Cecil, and we got to interact with one another. And that that was fun. So my approach, just to sort of bring it back to what your question was, which is, do I hate him? I I don't. I kind of try to play him, uh, you know, whatever whatever they're writing. I try to sort of play it honestly. Is like he the the villains never think that they're the villains. Mm-hmm. So I have to sort of play him honestly. And and people have have uh, have said that that they feel a little bit bad for him <laughs> after they see him live, which is uh, which is kind of cool. I heard that you were you were Steve Carlsberg on Dallas episode listening to him, expecting this you know horrible man you know <laughs> due to Cecil's description he's just this normal guy and he gets shouted out. It was, it was I think that's more fun. It is more fun. I agree. Well, just yeah, it's just like the intensity of Cecil's hatred for him just amplifies <laughs> yeah. how much you start laughing because like when I heard uh, the, yeah the debate. Or when, because um, at Emerald City Comic Con, when you guys did the preview night, mm-hmm. um, I think on the on the Friday, and you came out and did, um, I think it was like a different version of Numbers, because uh, Molly yeah. Quinn was there playing the voice of the um, the other radio station. Yes. And when you came out and you were actually interacting with Cecil, the intense hatred that's coming off of him, and you're just going to stand in there just saying what you're saying, and <laughs> he's just getting more and more angry at you, and... I think that's what the audience is feeding off of as well. Yeah. And he's so uh, – Cecil is uh, – first of all, is a, is a very talented actor, but also a really good guy. And if, if, if we didn't have some chemistry, it, mm-hmm. wouldn't, it wouldn't work. 
Yeah. And he's really generous. You know, he's like a theater guy. He's a theater guy. Dylan, I mean, they all, they're all, all of them are theater performers. So they, they get that idea of ensemble and working together and, and making each other look good. And so it's just, it's always a pleasure to, to get to go see those guys and, and be out on the road with them. And uh, yeah, so like, wh- how did that the Night Vale and Thrilling Adventure Hour kind of combination actually happen? So when we were in New York in May of 2013, Acker had already started listening to to Welcome to Night Vale, and that was before they kind of exploded. Mm-hmm. So they came to the show, and he introduced me to the two of them, and I actually talked to them for like a half hour. They were really nice guys, really funny, and he was telling me about their podcast. And then over the summer, they blew up. So so Acker and Blacker and and Jeffrey and Joseph were already in communication with one another. So when we were going to to New York that fall for Comic-Con and more shows at the Bell House, we had Cecil and and Mara Wilson excuse me in our show and then they said if there's anybody from Thrilling Adventure Hour who's going to be there that can do our show, we'd love to have them. So uh Craig and Mark Evan Jackson and Annie and Mark Agliardi and I all said we can do it <laughs> and Craig wound up um, booking work in LA, so we had to come out later. But the four of us went and did the show, and it was it was really really fun. Yeah. And I and I after after that performance, I told Jeffrey and Joseph, I said, "You have to let me be Steve Carlsberg all the time now." <laughs> he you is. Can't have any other actors do it? Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, um, also, even just with Thrilling Adventure Hour, you know, you have your specific characters. Like, the, is is there like a me- a measure of ownership that you have? For them now where you're just like if someone else were to ever do gummy would you be kind of like well that's mine and you know not yours you know uh <laughs> i mean sort of it's it's not like a it's not like a, it's mine and not yours but there are i guess sort of there are there are things that that i feel like an attachment to mm-hmm. like it would be really weird if somebody else played gummy or <laughs> really weird if somebody else played philip fathom now mm-hmm. um because those are roles that I kind of helped to build. Yeah. I wasn't the very first Philip Fathom, but I was because I did it in rehearsal before Christopher Maloney showed up. And that's why I got to do it later. And don't tell Chris Maloney, but you're way better at it. Listen, he listens to this podcast. I'm I don't sure have to tell him. He just did. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, CM. Sam, what the hell? I know. I'm just saying. I, you know, If I was going to choose, like, my two children... I would choose Hal because, you know, it it just, he speaks to me. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you like my performance. <laughs> it's it's, the, it's one of my favorite characters. Like, I mean, it's it's a standout character now. I mean, it, obviously kind of uh, riding on the coattails of the Dark Knight and everything. But sure. at the same time, it's the amount of aquatic puns <laughs> that Acker and Blacker managed to fit into a segment. And then the combination of your uh, your version of Christian Bale's voice is it just it's so perfect. <laughs> I, I love how they write that character because it's you know like Gummy is written goofy. Even Captain Captain Laser is written to be kind of oafish. Mm-hmm. Like he he does heroic stuff, but he's also kind of clumsy. But Fathom is the one character in that world who who's never like. He's always super serious, and the, the lines are written in a really serious way. But they're so ridiculous coming out coming out of this character and sort of how his uh, his like ethos that they've built for him, and the fact that he's this kind of dangerous loner who's also in charge of a group of teenage kids. 
I mean, it's it's they make it work, and it's it's so much fun to play, and I'm so glad that that I get to do it, and that that people have embraced it the way that they have. It's always like it's exciting. It's exciting to know that people uh, that people are enjoying it. Yeah, it's a it's a really great character. I th- I think I even told you this at Emerald City Comic Con. So I was like, he's one of my favorites, and <laughs> I always I always feel bad about saying that in front of other people. But yeah, because like Mark Mark and Annie were standing there too. It's like, no, no, I like your characters too, but this one I really identify with because I'm a huge Batman fan. <laughs> you know what? They needed to hear it. I'm it sure. Time, somebody had to take them down a peg or two. Like, look, Croach is fine, but he's no yeah. Philip Fathom. <laughs> That's right. That's what I'm going to get on a T-shirt. <laughs> But you have to, and everyone has to say it in that really like low uh like he's no Philip Fathom, you know. He's no Philip Fathom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna do poor imitations of your characters to you. As so. bait <laughs> you're baiting me out doing That's what I do. <laughs> like, oh I'm gonna get you at the end of the podcast. You'll I have requests for you, sir. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> We're in an all request hour here. <laughs> We're on the phones. You're live here on Sam Speaks. You want to talk to Hal Loveland? Go ahead. Yeah, Cleveland, Ohio, you're on the air. <laughs> um, yeah, Hal Loveland. Can you do um, gummy? I love gummy. Uh, Gummy's my favorite. Got a request for gummy coming in. Cleveland, <laughs> Ohio. Request from gummy. You gonna do gummy for the you know, young lady from Cleveland? Coming at number one. It's gummy. <laughs> this one goes out to the one I love. <laughs> Yay! Uh, Oh, <laughs> uh, so you, you've been a cod. You've had a chance to interact with fans. Do you have a, a take on Adventure Hour fans versus Night Vale fans? Um, in terms of, do I prefer one over the other, or yeah, just, just what the just, differences are? Just what the differences might be. What's the Venn diagram? <laughs> um, there, there is a Venn diagram. People who are in the middle, which I, I feel like that middle section is growing, which is great mm-hmm. because I think that they're too. They're two different podcasts with different sensibilities, but they do. It does make sense that if you enjoyed one, that you would might also enjoy the other. Um, but they're, I, I mean, Night Vale fans are certainly fanatical. They and are. It, it's, uh, I'm a little I worried that, about you, Hal, to be honest, playing Steve <laughs> Carlsberg with some of these fans. Uh, well, I'm at a Pope Mobile when I'm out on stage, so it's fine. Oh, okay. There we go. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, no, 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 go ahead. <laughs> Oh, no, I was. They're fanatical, but I mean that in the best possible way. That they love it and they have an ownership of it, and and I think it's wonderful. And it's, I think it's encouraged. Uh, it's encouraged a lot of people to either um, live their lives the way that they want to, or or try things that they haven't tried before. Um, so I think that's great. And Thrilling Adventure Hours fans are also really fanatical and really smart and really great. I mean, they're they're both great fan bases. It's really cool to be able to interact with both of them. I think it's also the the, the fan base themselves, like you say, they're really smart and and they're really you know attached to these characters. And it's it's great because you have to be kind of like on the uptake to get a lot of these jokes because you don't have the um, uh, the ability to see the actors kind of give you those cues. You know, it's all in how you tell it to us. Um, so if we don't get it, it's it's either a failure on our part or it's yours. I'm assuming it's ours, but uh. <laughs> I, I would go the other way. Actually, if you're yeah. not connecting with it, then there's something in the material 
or, although it could be both. It could be just two ships passing each other in the night. That's but, true. <laughs> but I think that ownership is really, really important. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of a ton of different things. Um, Star Wars. I love Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, <laughs> even like baseball, basketball. Like all, all of that stuff requires – not requires, but you develop a sense of ownership. If you go see The Amazing Spider-Man 2, there's going to be stuff that you like about it and stuff that makes you really mad because if you're a huge Spider-Man fan, you have notions and ideas of how it should be and how it shouldn't be and where the borders of that character can be stretched and broken and where they can't and the extent to which that movie fulfills your expectations is the extent to which you're going to experience either happiness or, or anger about it. So what you're saying, Hal, is that you did or did not like Spider-Man 2. <laughs> let, me, let me go on the record as saying that I think that, that Andrew Garfield is, is an incredible Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. And, I agree. That's very dramatic. Um, yeah. I, and I, I also think that Emma Stone is a fantastic uh, Gwen Stacy. Yeah. And the two of them have great chemistry and they're great characters. I think it's a middle movie that feels like the middle of another movie. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't really... Uh, have a beginning or an end. <laughs> it's just a bunch of middle, and it. I, I think it's got some pacing issues that are kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But he's so good that it's. Uh, it, to me, it felt almost like an illusion a little bit. Yeah. You, like, oh, did I really? I must have really liked this movie because he was so good, <laughs> and all the actors in it are 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 really good actors and and did a great job. But there's something about it. It just felt like it was setting me up for Amazing Spider-Man 3. Probably was. <laughs> I like when those, you know, I, what Marvel has done with their own properties that they're controlling is created this overall narrative while also giving us individual films that are satisfying. Exactly, yeah. So that, that it's cool to see the other studios that have Marvel properties trying to do the same thing, but it's, it's hard to do. Trying. Yeah, it's harder than it seems. I, and having just the Spider-Man properties makes it really difficult because you have one hero and then a ton of villains. Yeah. Um, Fox is in a little bit better shape having all the all the mutant stuff and Fantastic Four. They've at least got a better shot. Though I do like how they're bending over backwards to try and keep Hugh Jackman for as long as possible. <laughs> I, I would, too. He's a great Wolverine. He's a great Wolverine. It's just that... so. My perspective is that he's so oversaturated to the point that that's why they're doing this. They're, like, afraid that if he goes away, they will lose the franchise. <laughs> he's also, I mean, he's, what is he, 47? Something like that, yeah. At, at a certain point, he's going to start aging. <laughs> he's going to show his age, age a lot more. And then you'll be like, wait, Wolverine ages a lot slower than this. He can't, he's going to be Old Man Wolverine before Old Man Wolverine was Old Man Wolverine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, and and I think he's really down to earth about it too, where he's just kind of like, I can't keep doing this. Like, man's got to eat ice cream someday. I mean, come on. <laughs> but uh, no, I love, I love. I was going to ask you that too. Like, what what things do you kind of like geek geek out over? And obviously, you have a, a, a multitude of things that you like to geek out over. Yeah, I mean, I first and foremost, I would say I was I was raised on Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I I was born in seventy seven. Uh, the first movie I remember seeing in a theater was Empire Strikes Back. Oh, nice. My, my parents took me out of out of uh, school, which was either kindergarten or first grade, when I was six, to see Return of the Jedi in the theater. <laughs> the uh, of the year. Yeah, really cool parents, and I just <laughs> that's that the, that was like the formative 
sort of media property of my childhood and I've, I've held on to it and still am a huge Star Wars fan and I've started like now as an adult I go back and and slowly when I can try to collect some of the toys mm-hmm. that original sort of Kenner line which mm-hmm. is expensive I don't have the money to do it <laughs> but every once in a while I'll I'll get some stuff and it's re- like I love having it I wish I had a place to display it but I feel like if I just collect it and that that'll come with time how many Boba Fetts do you have? I only have two. I have one that I got <laughs> at a flea market that was in a – I bought a case, one of the Darth Vader bust cases mm-hmm. that happened to be filled with all the, like, first-run figures. Okay. The guy had no idea, like, what they were. He just bought it at some storage auction. <laughs> so I bought the case from him, and now I have all these figures. And I think I still have my Boba Fett from when I was a kid. It's still back in Philadelphia somewhere. And then you make some kind of like a diorama sarlacc pit, and you're like, and this is where he fell in here. And... Yeah. And it may not be canon anymore, but he crawled out with the Mandalorian armor, kept him protected. He totally did with that yeah. uh, jetpack that was apparently useless up until like the last minute and yeah. bested by a blind guy. He, uh, did, he did escape. I uh, just want to point that out. <laughs> How are you feeling about the uh, the new one coming up with J.J. Abrams? Look, I, he. I, I, I'm not alone in being disappointed by the by the prequels. And right. I feel like it's uh, it's the right thing to do on George Lucas's part to sort of hand those properties over to to a studio that can continue to develop that world with new voices and especially the voices of people who were raised on the original films. So J.J. Abrams plus Lawrence Kasdan writing. Mm-hmm. is is exciting to me. I, I, I hope it's really good. I, I know I'll be there watching it. I'm ex- I, I feel like like J.J. Abrams tried to make Star Trek into Star Wars. So to have him actually doing Star Wars is pretty exciting. Yeah, it's, they're much... People really hate the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. I, I like them fine. I think they've got a good cast. It's way too much lens flare. Mm-hmm. We can all agree <laughs> on that. Um, but I like I kind of like the direction that he, he took it. It's mm-hmm. hard to make... It would be hard to make the like an original Star Trek film nowadays. Yeah. It's much more cerebral. They're much slower paced. And one of the, the finest funny things about Star Trek is that there's no war, no hunger, no problems. Everybody get along now. Yeah. Right. So how do you make an interesting story out of that? Yeah. Klingons. Always add Klingons. Klingons. Always add Klingons. And the the idea of, of breaking off the original timeline I thought was, was Yeah kind of smart it at least gave them the room to go to go wherever they want whether whether everybody connects with that or not that that'll that will remain to be seen i mean they're they're still making money i know they're planning the next one they're taking too long i think to get them out mm-hmm. yeah that's you're... gonna be an issue yeah it was like four years between the first and the second one and like longer than anyone wants to wait for those kinds of things because like we we want more of this the first one obviously did well enough where we were just kind of like no get more now Feed me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, actually, and there's a lot of other great stuff coming out in the meantime to sort of pull you away and maybe make you less excited. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the that's the thing sometimes uh, with anything where it's just like if you go too long and you don't have it, you forget, you know, really easily. Yeah. Um, I took my mother to go see both Star Trek films because she's a, she was an old school, um, old Trek fan. Sure. And uh, the first the first one came out around Mother's Day, so that's what that was my Mother's Day present to her. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so the part with 
what I really enjoyed about the first one was the homages that weren't like completely in your face. They were just very well done. Yes. Um, and the one with the red shirts was probably by far my favorite one. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Engineer Olsen, go on this away team with Sulu and, uh, and Kirk. And Oh, by the way, you're wearing a red uniform. Hmm. <laughs> my mother and I both looked at each other and were like, Oh, he going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, my my mother-in-law watched Star Trek, um, but my wife is not, like, a huge Star Trek fan. Mm-hmm. Like, she has some awareness of it, but I took her to see – we went to see the, the most re- – not the most recent. We actually saw them both in IMAX, but the the Star Trek from a couple of years ago, 2007 or whenever. Um, we went to see that in IMAX, mm-hmm. and she was being a very good sport going to see it with me. And at a certain point, I looked over and she was on the edge of her seat with her, like, just completely kind of drawn into the movie, which was great. It was kind of cool. That 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 to me is is a sign that they were successful as a film. If they could take somebody who's not as familiar with the, with the world and and pull them in completely, mm-hmm. I think that's that's I I consider that successful. Yeah, it's the same with like the the Marvel movies. Like, who'd have thought that Guardians of the Galaxy would be something that we're all looking forward to? Yeah, it looks fantastic. Oh, my God. I showed that trailer to to my parents who are just not – I mean, they're aware of the comic book stuff, and they like a lot of this the this, this world and everything, but they don't know it from Adam. And so I showed them the trailer, and they're just like, yeah, I'll go see that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize I wanted this, but now I do. Marvel well, does a good job of finding talented people and letting them do what they do. Mm-hmm. Yes. And James Gunn, you, I mean, just the attitude that that whole trailer has, the attitude of the poster that came out, where they're like, the studio that brought you this, this, and this brings you Guardians of the Galaxy. You're welcome. <laughs> like, I love that Devil May Care attitude because it speaks so much to the world they're trying to build within that movie, but also the grander scale that they're trying to fulfill with the universe itself. I read recently that they have those movies planned out until 2028. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So like, it's exciting. Hopefully some Captain Marvels, a Black Panther. Well, Ed, Edgar Wright still wants to do Ant-Man, doesn't he? Oh, it's yeah, it's it's going to come out. It's um, Next summer. Yeah. Oh, I love Edgar Wright. It's what, yeah. uh, awesome. Paul Rudd playing Scott Lang and yes. uh, Michael Douglas playing Hank Pym. So yeah. It's going to be good, interesting. It's a really good. It's a really good cast, and they're, man, I just, I, I, I'm in awe of it. It's it, this is a really good time to to be into that stuff. Not only yeah. because, you know, everybody talks about like geek culture or nerd culture and how that's, if not acceptable, it's become sort of the dominant part of our culture, uh, but also just the the what that sort of created as an atmosphere where these movies can be made. Yeah, it's a great time to be a geek. I mean, you you can have uh, your problems with whatever changes that they make to certain things, which, I mean, many of us do. We have our, our issues here and there. But overall, it's like, okay, so what? in two years, I get to go see Cap 3 and Batman versus Superman or whatever the hell they end up calling that damn movie. <laughs> Justice League Light. Yeah, Justice League 1.0. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, because the, I think today, did you see the uh, the picture of the, the Batmobile under its um, tarp? Yes. It's just like, it's two wheels under a tarp. <laughs> Yay. So exciting. Oh, my yes. God. <laughs> that, you guys, we're going to see the car that Batman drives tomorrow. I got to wait. 
It's like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Next thing you know, I'm going to see a Batman outfit that I've never seen before, ever. <laughs> I never did a Batman outfit! This is brand new! Who knew it could like this? Where's the Wonder Woman thing? Where's the Wonder Woman thing? Oh my god, oh my god. Batman outfit's black, you guys. Become Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> and then the ensuing arguments over Wonder Woman's role, and blah, 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 blah. Of course. <laughs> yeah, because on, on our side especially, like I'm I, I'm one of the more vocal people about Wonder Woman's plays in the pantheon of superheroes. Right. <laughs> you know, Bex, Bex, you have a, an opinion about that too. You've expressed it from time to time. Once or twice, yes. Once or twice. <laughs> I think we're just like, where are the women at? Come on. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> it's like, I want an Amazon riding a harpy, lassoing things right, you know, down New York City. Why not? I should get my movie. Look, they—they—it's a long overdue, long, long, long overdue. I hope they—they they do that character justice. Well, DC's I, so I, nervous about making anything mm-hmm. right they now. Are. I, and Arrow, I think, is a really good show. I really like it. Yeah, it's—it's it's fun for what for what it is. I mean, um, did you see the trailer for Constantine? I—I I did not. Oh, you should go watch that. That actually, so as much as I do like Arrow. Um, and I'm actually excited for the Flash that's being spun off of it too. Right. Uh, Constantine actually feels like okay, that's serious business right there. Okay. It, it really feels like that they're they're going to make an effort on this one. Not that they're not making an effort on Arrow, but with Constantine, it's a different type of world, you know, with the magic and mayhem and everything. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's more of a a little more of a challenge to to pull off believably. CW, I mean. Arrow's one of those weird sh- I always tell people if they if they haven't seen it I say it's it's really really good. Uh Stephen Amell elevates the show. Mm-hmm. There are, there are a lot of great cast members but he carries the whole thing. His abs do as well. His abs carry it. Well he's got the abs to carry it. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and he's got the acting abs to carry it. Yeah, you have to have good acting abs. Mhm. It's very they come in all shapes and sizes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Just so you know, um, but he kind of helps elevate it out of what so many other CW shows are, which is like uh, a soap opera that is also a commercial for Windows tablets and PCs. <laughs> Monster of the week plus angst. Yeah, plus the all new Surface. <laughs> I'm just saying, Supernatural is still a good show, guys. Come on. I love it. Acker and Blacker's Supernatural. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I was listening to um, Nerdist today. I was, was catching up, and they were on, and they talked about they, they wrote for Supernatural for, what, a season or something like that? Yes. And they got to meet Ben Edlund, who's a really cool dude. Nice. Like, that whole that, that whole show. I'm, I'm A friend of mine got me hooked on it when I was in grad school and supposedly writing my thesis. Um <laughs> I got through like five seasons in about two months, so I was working real hard. I have not really watched a lot of Supernatural, and so when we did the show in San Diego last summer, and we had Misha Collins on the show, oh, I didn't know who he was. He looked somewhat familiar. Another guy, like really, it sounds weird when somebody does an interview and they're like, oh, this person was really nice. This person was really nice and great to work with. But he really was, and and all the people who have done the show have been really like, just sort of solid people. The Bens have a have a knack for bringing in like solid, nice folks. But but that's also one of the things about having a long career is you have to be nice to people and be somewhat easy to work with. 
mm-hmm. or fun to work with or else there are tons of people with talent. There are tons of people who are good looking or have a good voice or whatever. So being a, a like a solid, upstanding person is important. And without naming names, so I don't want to do that. Were, were, were there any guests who just didn't quite fit the format or maybe just didn't understand what they were getting into? There are always people who don't quite understand what they're getting into. And sometimes people do it and they're they're really good. And then you see them sort of the light turns on mm-hmm. and they go, oh, that's what this is. And then they knock it out of the park. Um, Zach Levi was like that. The first time he did the show, he was great. Mm-hmm. But like, you got the sense that like, oh, the next time he does it, he's going to be even even better. Yeah. And and he was. The uh, format of the show is is well lent for guest stars because you just you show up like you're saying a couple, like an hour before the show, read through the script, and you can hold your script on stage. You don't have to memorize any lines. Yeah, it's, and it's the perfect format for guest stars. Totally. And they're they're walking in. It can be intimidating to come in to a group of actors who all know each other and work together a lot. No matter what you've done and what your accolades are elsewhere, you're walking into something that's that's unfamiliar with a group of people who already have an existing relationship and shorthand. But we're we do our best to be really welcoming to everybody. So. You know, who, wh- whoever you are, when you go out there, we're going to take care of you. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the nature that of improv, too. Totally. Like you totally. don't you don't want to screw up on stage because then it's it's just kind of like it's not good for you guys. It's not good for the audience either. You know, everyone right. wants to succeed, and everyone out in the audience wants you to succeed. Well, we're ge- yeah, we're like genuinely grateful to have people come and do our show. So of course we want them to. To, to shine and have fun and want to come back and, and do a great job. It's good for, like you said, it's good for all of us and it all, it all helps the show. And, you know, it's just, there, there are certainly people who come in, people who come in who have an improv background, um, voiceover people, they tend to do really well just because they're used to being in that situation. Mm-hmm. But there aren't, I, I can't really think of anybody who came in and I'd go, Oh, they just don't get it. Yeah, it's just kind of something where they're they it, like you said it, it kind of just like clicks and then they they kind of figure it out for themselves either in the midst of it or during rehearsal or something like that. Absolutely, which is awesome. Yeah, it's great. Um, I I wanted to ask you also about the um, so you guys had a really successful Kickstarter. Yes. Uh, which I I participated in. I'm not gonna lie, it was awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I was willing to hand over my money to you guys. <laughs> and uh, so it resulted in um, not only a graphic novel, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, it also had uh, you guys produced um, a, a movie, basically a filmed version of the stage show. Yes. And a web series. Yes. The, the behind the scenes web series is actually premiering pretty soon. I think we even mentioned it in the Chicago panel, which came out today. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was today's podcast was our panel from C2E2. Okay. And I, I'm blanking on the date, but it's somewhat soon. It's in the next few weeks, I think. It'll be available on Nerdist. They'll start releasing it one, uh, once a week. Oh, cool. Uh, oh. The concert film will – I'm not sure when that's coming out, but we got to see it. It's really, really cool, really, really fun to see. Uh, just to sort of – I've never really gotten a chance to watch the show. Back back in the M-Bar days when you weren't on stage performing, you could you would actually still be in the room. You'd just go to the back of the room by the bar 
and you'd watch the show and be part of the audience. But for me, I always had to be off and on so much. And it was such a small stage that I was always on the back wall. And now we have a backstage area and usually I have to be out pretty quickly. So I, I've never actually sat and watched the show perform. So that was kind of neat for me to see. Yeah, I got, uh, to, uh, I got to watch the preview at, at um, Emerald City uh, when you guys right. did that. Yeah, it was really fantastic to get to watch that. I mean, because from what you saw, I mean, that's that's essentially what the show is in a nutshell, right? I mean, I, I don't know how much about concert filming is is different than just, like, seeing the live performance, but there wasn't a lot of, like, staging things to make sure that they were presentable or anything, was there? No. I, the the funny thing is, when we recorded it, it we recorded, like, an extra long episode. Mm-hmm. So there are ads, and there's a whole segment that will probably be available as extras or will be available at some point. And I think, I think uh, Ben Blacker even mentioned it in the Q&A afterwards, that there were portions of the show that, for time, we had to cut out. Mm-hmm. So you get to see... Um, you do get to see what the show is like and what those segments are like being performed. Um, but it's, I'm excited to see how people react to the, to the other stuff as well that didn't make it in. Yeah. No, it was really cool watching it and and just being like, Oh my God. So if I went to LA, that's how it would always be like. It it is. It's, it's a really high energy show. You should come out and see it. Come on down. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And you come on out. Woo-hoo! On the next lane in L.A. You got a comfy couch? <laughs> what? Pull out? What do you need, a couch? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you Nathan Fillion's address. And <gasps> you're, you're the best, pal. It's 123 Main Street. and <laughs> Okay. Los Angeles, Hollywood. Yeah. California, America. Correct. <laughs> um, see, I had a, I had another question. Oh, oh, it's about the um, the graphic novel. That's it. Sure. Um how did it how was it seeing characters that you have only really brought to life through voice visualized in this graphic novel it, it was incredible first of all full credit that all every single artist in, in that book is different mm-hmm. and incredible and you look at it and you go oh they were the absolute right choice to draw that particular part of the comic yeah it's an amazing graphic novel yeah and second of all, the the way that, that the Bens wrote it is so good. Like, they, they, it's really hard to to capture the timing of the show mm-hmm. in print. It's really got to be a combination of them, of how they write it, and then how the artists place the, the speech balloons. Yeah. And I know that, that it was a team effort, but it really, like, it comes across the tone of the show – and they're, the voices of the different characters and, and the tones of the different pieces really comes across to me. Yeah, no, it did to me, too. Like, you know, you're, you're always kind of a little bit worried because, I mean, as, a, as an avid comic book reader, you know, there's uh, writers who you know their voice and you understand artist styles and everything. When you, when you have something that is being transferred from one medium to the next, it's always a little bit of a oh my god is it gonna is it gonna be as good as I hope it is <laughs> right. Um, I I will say that I think my favorite segment still is the uh, the Beyond Belief. Right. Um, it's just a, a Tom Fowler's art. I think because he did a poster for you guys. I think didn't he? He did. It's a really great Beyond Belief poster with yeah. uh, 
the Paul and Paget lookalikes. They just it's he just captured it so well, and then just how the movement in the in the in the comic is amazing, as well yeah. as the dialogue. So it's that one is great. I I loved uh, Philip Fathom was the biggest shot for me mm-hmm. in terms of what the character looked like because I there had been a couple of of uh, different artists who had taken who had done just some drawings of the character what they thought the character looked like. One was by uh, Dean Tripp, who's a really talented I love Dean Tripp. artist yeah. and writer and a great guy. He's become a pal. Um, and that was the first one I saw that looked very much like a Batman, mm-hmm. like a manta ray type costume. So in my mind, that was what he looked like. And other people, their versions were somewhat similar where it was a Batman, but he had a fin on top of his head and <laughs> wore goggles and stuff. And then, then I see the, the artwork that Jeff Stokely did, which is awesome. And it was it threw me for a loop, but it made perfect sense because the the more you make him look like Batman, the more the more you go, oh well, he's basically is just Batman. Yeah. Whereas when you make him look like like an actual detective who who's got a creature from the Black Lagoon face that may or may not be a mask, we don't know. No, we don't. Um, his parents died at sea for crying his, out loud. His parents died at sea. He might wear that mask as a tribute. He might be an underwater person. We don't know. <laughs> Um, but I I love the the tone of that piece. It's so much fun and all the action shots in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really cool to to think that that was a that was a character that had only been around at that point for I don't know eight months or, yeah, or maybe like for a year by the time the book was done. Mm-hmm. So to have his own story was really really cool. It, it's a, there's something inherently like as as serious as the character is supposed to be in his in his words. Like to see a fish man in a trench coat and a fedora is just kind of inherently funny. Yes. <laughs> so you're just like, I'm accepting this because I read this stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, you look at it and you go, Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. And then I, I love the 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 Moonshine Holler is the only one that's been podcast before. Uh, oh. They're all original stories for the people who who have not seen the graphic novel and are maybe just getting into the podcast or will after they hear this. Um, and Joanna Estep did such a fantastic job drawing that one. Mm-hmm. And it was cool to see how, how they took a script that people liked and were, were familiar with and turned it into a, a comic book. Yeah. That, that one's really cool. And that, and my dad is actually one of the Kickstarter awards for the people out there who didn't get a chance to participate was, you could be a character in the graphic novel. So my dad, uh, he backed up the level that let him do that. So he's, he appears <laughs> in uh, in Moonshine House. So my dad's likeness is in the comic book. Mine is not because none of the characters look like me. <laughs> You're not a seaman? I'm not a seaman. Surprise. Wah, no gills for Hal. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Wasn't one of the, the rewards that you were to drew, you were going to draw something to or – uh, yeah, so so they got Gagliardi to do like drawings, uh-huh. and and I think I was talking to Acker. I was like, he's gonna do drawings. Screw that! I'll do watercolors. <laughs> <laughs> so I wound up doing like I think like somewhere between fifty and a hundred watercolors. Wow! And I'm not an artist. Neither of us are. His drawings are much better than my watercolors. <laughs> and I'd not done watercolors since I was maybe like 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. And so when we, we got together and did like an art party where he and I were there, um, Jackson Public, one of the creators of the Venture Brothers, he was doing some art and Ben Edlin was there. So we were all sort of doing our artwork. 
and I put the paper on a vertical easel, which is real dumb because you're basically <laughs> taking colored water and putting it on paper. So it did not turn out as well, and I and I finished them all later on, and it was it was like a it was a, a really it was really a Herculean task. <laughs> Were there requests, or were you just, like, doing the same picture over and over again? There were requests. A lot of them were like, will you draw Frank and Sadie? Will you draw Sparks Nevada? Will you draw Sparks Nevada and Frank and Sadie? From this episode, will you draw Frank and Sadie? And then I would have to go, uh, which episode is this? Because, oh, you know, I to me, I, I forget the titles, and I forget which, like, the episode numbers. Because mm-hmm. I I was in them. I don't I don't remember. Yeah which ones they are, so I had to go back and do some research. You just gave was... hand turkeys out, didn't you? What? You just made hand turkeys after a while, I'm sure, right? Yeah, and I gave some people uh, a paper plate with pipe cleaners in it that was a clock. <laughs> oh, look, it's the trick clock. Enjoy. <laughs> I made this macaroni picture of Frank and Sadie. It's abstract. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's a necklace. You can wear it. <laughs> I went through my Picasso cubist phase. Um, so you can kind of sort of make out sparks right there. <laughs> yeah, it's whoever you want it to be. And isn't that the greatest gift? <laughs> Truly it is. Truly it is. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was fun. There were a lot of crazy reward. What Did you just get a copy of the comic book or did you get one of the I, um words? I got the, uh, the graphic novel, which uh, it just got sent to me digitally. Um, okay. The concert film, the soundtrack... And I think that's it. Nice. Yeah. Oh, so you'll have the DVD with all the extras. Yeah, that's what I, I love extras on DVDs. <laughs> nice. I I pitched. Uh, so my dad was actually backstage during the concert. He he went like crazy and got all these different rewards. One of them was being the assistant curtainer oh for the for the film. So he was backstage for it. Your dad and is I, awesome. He's pretty cool, dude. I pitched uh, Blacker. I said you should have my dad do a commentary track for the film. <laughs> Which my dad would totally do. He would have no problem talking for for 70 minutes or whatever. Would it actually be about the film, or he would just start talking about whatever he wanted to talk about? I think he would talk about the film, but who knows where it could go. Sure. <laughs> just goes on a tangent. You know, my son Hal, I mean, one time. <laughs> yeah, he could tell all stories about me growing up. Oh, that would be perfect. Like, there's one commentary <laughs> track. It's just Hal's dad talking about Hal growing up for 70 minutes. Yes. <laughs> get all the dirt on how love them that you wanted to get <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> uh, i would i would have paid for that i did pay for it technically so. <laughs> tell them to put it on there i will i'll tell them they, they work for me now <laughs> before it ships this must be done like sam said the, said so and they're like who is sam <laughs> <laughs> never you mind who she is you just get it done you're like it's a she like yes it's a she why not <laughs> How dare you assume? <laughs> That's right. Hal Loveland in my corner. Yay! That's right. I'm here for you. Woo-hoo! <laughs> Sam and I were talking before about how um, so many of the theme songs get stuck in our head. Do you have a favorite theme song from Filling Adventure Hour? <sighs> the Sparks theme song is so good. It is. It's it is. It's so good. Um, that might be my favorite. I, I really do. I like them all. I mean, they're all so great. The Captain Laserbeam uh, song is fun is fun to sing. There's something about that Sparks theme, though. It's, Every time we do it, it's just like, 
it's I, I never I don't get tired of any of them. And that one is that one we've done the most of all of them. It's and it's I remember learning it at at Eben Schletter's house. <laughs> nice. And this is before Andy Paley and before John Dinerstein. We went over there. We were like, Eben, Eben wrote this song, and we had to learn it. And I was like, oh, this is a really good song. Then <laughs> we didn't have any theme songs for anything at that point. And it's just, it's so well written. It really is. I, uh, I was, yeah, when Bex and I were talking about this, I, I think for like two or three days at work, I would just be kind of standing there like doing, um, I, wor- I work for an architectural firm. I'd just mm-hmm. be rolling drawings and just going, like, yeah. As beautiful as comet bugs in jars. I love that line. So great. But all the stuff that Andy Paley's written is so good, too. I mean, he's just mm-hmm. writes this really catchy stuff. Mm-hmm. The, the TikTok theme is really good. It is. And the, the studio recording of it is pretty incredible. The, we were doing, Bex and I were doing the Moonshine Holler bit, like the woo-woo. <laughs> <laughs> that one's always fun to do, and having Annie in the background doing woo-woo. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's almost like hauntingly gorgeous, the way she does yeah. that. Like, I can't believe that's almost like a, a real person doing it. Yeah, it sounds like an instrument. Yeah, it sounds like, um, oh, God, what is it, a theremin almost. Yeah, she's got a pretty incredible voice. She, she does. Dorothy Parker smash. Dorothy Parker smash. <laughs> she's very pregnant Annie Savage, ladies and gentlemen. Is she? How, how far along is she, Hal? She is... Wrong pregnancy watch. I think she's like seven months, six, seven months. Well, she's about ready to pop then. <laughs> she's about ready. She she won't be in San Diego with us because she will have just had a baby. Oh, no. It's weird traveling without her. Yeah. Uh, it feels like, like oh, she should be here. Why wasn't she here? <laughs> Does it uh, feel that way with, like, whenever someone can't show up? Like, you're just kind of like, oh, it's like a like an arm is missing. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the core group especially. Um, so we did... When we did the Earth Day show, which was uh, maybe three weeks ago, mm-hmm. that was it was uh, Paul and Paget, Mark and Mark, Craig and me, and Annie and Dave Gruber Allen. Plus uh, Molly was there and the Super Ego guys. But that was like the original seven or eight of us that did the show every month for for years. And other people have come in to become regulars: Autumn and Busy and uh, and Josh Molina that have all been fantastic and James and John, but that, that core group, like it felt really special to all be together again. Mm-hmm. So when, when other sort of core people aren't there, it is kind of weird and it doesn't make the show, you know, we can still go out and have a really good show and have a lot of fun, but it's there, you know, we miss each other. Yeah. Or they, everyone's like sending people text messages be like, wish you were here. Smiley. You know, be like, sad face, sad face. It's happened. It's happened before. <laughs> like, hell's not here. Boo. Yeah. Uh, from, from that perspective, it's always good to come back and know like, oh, they missed me. It's, I can still be in the show. Oh. <laughs> it's like Acker and Black are just coming up to you. Like you could be replaced at any minute, bub. Yeah. Sorry. We got somebody else. Like, no. <laughs> just fall to your knees and a spotlight on. You're like, no. Yeah. So many tears. So many tears. Oh. 
all. Uh, well, hell, we've been going for an hour and a half now. We have. We have. Wow. It's been really effortless talking to you. Well, I'm glad. I've had a good time. Yeah. Um, Bex, did so you have awesome. any, other, any other questions you wanted to ask before we... No, I think I think I've got all my questions out there. How many questions do you have for us? What was it like when you were in <laughs> Amelia Earhart? And oh, wow. You played. <laughs> well, when I was flying my plane through the vortex, um, uh-huh. what, what I was like? thinking to myself was, how can I kill more dirty krauts? Sure. Dirty krauts. on everybody's mind. Dirty krauts. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, when Cra- this is uh, very quickly, I'll give you one last tidbit. Mm. When, when uh, Craig got married, mm-hmm. he had his wedding at um, uh, the silent movie theater. I think it's called Cinespace now. No, maybe not. I forget. What the, I forget what it's called now. Cinefamily. That's what it's called. But it's this old like movie house, and and he and his wife got married there. And as part of like part of their ceremony, they got married at the end. But they had friends of theirs because they're both performers come up and do sketches and stuff. Oh, so, cool! So we went up. It was uh, Mark and Mark. And Annie and, and me, we each did a little bit talking to him as different characters. So they, Mark and Mark talked to, uh, gave Felton some wedding advice. <laughs> and then, and I gave uh, Banjo some wedding advice. Aww. <laughs> and, but Annie had to get up as, as Abby Adams. And the whole time it was like, they wrote Dirty Krauts in here a lot. <laughs> this is not, how come none of you have to say Dirty Krauts in yours? <laughs> But thankfully, they both have very cool families mm-hmm. who were fine with it. But it, it was like this weird thing of like, oh, she's going to say Dirty Krauts a number of times <laughs> in this wedding of these two people. This joyous celebration. And we're like, kill all the Dirty Krauts. We're gathered here in love and peace and dead Krauts. <laughs> well, it just wouldn't sound natural coming from Sparks and Crouch. I mean, really, it's just. It's, it's yeah. about the writing and being true to the character. True. It would sound racist if they said it. Yeah, true. <laughs> of course. <laughs> when when, uh, when Abby says it, it's patriotic. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, before we go, how, uh, where can people find you online? You can find me at HalLublin.com. Um, you can find me at Twitter.com slash HalLublin. I'm pretty much HalLublin on all of the <laughs> social media outlets. I, I grabbed that one early. I know there are a lot of people who are vying for that name, but it's a lot of Hal Lublin's in the world. <laughs> yeah, Instagram, Tumblr, Hal Lublin, all over it. Um, that's where you can find me. And uh, uh, do you know the dates for any upcoming uh, shows that people can go to? Sure. Um, immediately, we've got June 14th. If you're in Los Angeles, we'll be at Largo. I do not know if that show is sold out or not. I have a feeling it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it is, we are going to be in San Diego, California on July 26th, which is the Saturday of San Diego Comic-Con, performing the Welcome to Night Vale Thrilling Adventure Hour crossover. Sweet. Mm-hmm. So we'll be there with, with uh, Cecil and company. Um, the original version of that in Seattle, the recording was corrupted and lost. So <gasps> Doing it again. Yay! To commit it to recording for everybody out there who can't make it. And then uh, I, tickets for that are not on sale yet, but put it on your calendar. If you're going to be in San Diego for Comic-Con, it's going to be a busy weekend, but that show is going to be awesome. It's going to be at the Spreckles Theater, which is a little bit outside of downtown. I think it's on the harbor side, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then uh, October 11th, 
this fall we are coming back to New York City Yay, to, uh, to perform at the Bell House, which is our East Coast home. Huzzah! Yeah, a lot going on. And the Night Vale guys are doing a two-year anniversary show in New York on June 4th. Just to give them a plug, because we were just there and I got to see them. Um, so they're doing two shows at Town Hall Theater. You can find them on Ticketmaster. And I think their late show, they still have some tickets available. The first show sold out in like three seconds because they're Night Vale. Well, of course. Will Steve Carlsberg be showing up anytime soon? I feel like Steve Carlsberg is in all of our, is in all of, uh, all of our hearts, so you never know when he'll show up. <laughs> that piece of us that we try and suppress way down below. <laughs> yeah, sorry, everybody. You've got Which a little Steve Carlsberg in you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bex, where can people find you online? Oh, I am at femininemissgeek.wordpress.com, and you can find me on Twitter at femmissgeek as well. Yay! Hey for me. And she does many wonderful, funny tweets. I can attest to that. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank um, you. And for those who are interested in me, because why aren't you? Um, uh, you can find me at uh, darling underscore Sammy on Twitter, as well as my personal blog, The Maniacal Geek, maniacalgeek.wordpress.com, as well as uh, I write many articles for uh, wordofthenerdonline.com. Online.com. I have to say it for myself now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's our running gag. Um, and uh, please go to the site and check out all the articles from uh, our various writers. Find us on iTunes. Like us. Give us lots of stars. Uh, share us with your friends and family or acquaintances on the street. I don't I don't care. Um, as many personal people. Steve Carlsbergs. Yes. Anybody. <laughs> Tell them. <laughs> Frenemies and whatnot. <laughs> so uh, on behalf of Sam Speaks, uh, thank you, Hal, so much for, for being on the podcast. Uh, couldn't ask for a better guest. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been fun. so fun. And Bex, also thank you for joining me. Yay, I was so happy to be here. Um, and with that, we will say goodnight, everyone. Good night. Good night.